Have you ever admired someone so much that you wanted to emulate them? Have you ever respected someone so much that you wanted to honor them by behaving like them? Have you ever looked up to someone so much for the way they treat other people that you wanted to interact with others in the same way? Have you ever been loved by someone so much that you wanted to love others in the same way? That someone is different for each of us, and yet, that someone is the same. Now think of that someone being Christ. Think of that someone being Christ, the same, but manifested to each of us in a slightly different way. And, if you do, in the process, you get to follow Christ. And that's what we've been exploring for the past number of weeks from the very beginning of Lent. Following Christ, integrating that into our lives and what that means. It's a lifelong journey, this challenge to follow Christ. And today, I want to give you a specific challenge. And I want to make a footnote here to any of our guests and visitors. This sermon is not directly for you, but you can listen in. (laughs) This sermon is for the members. The members who have committed to be a part of this church and made a covenant agreement to be a part of the church and therefore a responsible member of it. Today's challenge in following Christ is to do so in a particular way with your behavior. And Michael has already alluded to it. How we treat others, how we respect others, how we interact with others, how we love others is connected to how we follow Christ. He offered a welcome and radical inclusivity that left no one out. No one. This morning I want to offer a direct challenge to who we are in our calling as Christians. Has it ever occurred to you that you are called to be hospitality ambassadors? Hospitality ambassadors. We have two people who have been charged by the congregation to be our point people for hospitality, uh, being hospitality ambassadors, and that's, um, that's B. Walker and Jewel Frazier. But they can't do it alone. We're all called to be hospitality ambassadors. Yet, before we look at that, we need to be aware of how inconsiderateness creeps into our lives. And it creeps in. It creeps in. And we're all susceptible to it. Jack White shares a moving autobiographical story. And I suspect any of us could feel like him, for he starts out with these exact words, I can't stand inconsiderate people. (laughs) 
And then he goes on to share this particular incident. The other day, I was playing an unfamiliar golf course with a friend of mine. We were both non-members of this particular country club. However, we were invited guests, and when we finished our zigzag round and headed back to the clubhouse, we went in to get some drinks. I don't understand why some club pros feel it is their duty to appear arrogant, but this particular pro was adept at it. When we were standing there waiting for our drinks just to order them, we were both sweating and hot, and he had his back to us looking at photographs that another golfer had brought back from Florida. We stood there for two solid minutes looking at each other and down at the floor. I could feel my sunburned head getting much redder. Finally, he glanced over his shoulder and said, I'll be a minute. We waited a whole minute. He was still talking to the other golfer. So finally, I grabbed my friend's arm. I pulled him toward the door. I said, let's get out of here. These people don't need our money. And we stalked out to the car, both of us simmering with anger. The very idea, who does he think he is? I'll never come back to this place. I know we may have overreacted, but the man was inconsiderate, and I, I just can't stand inconsiderate people. I don't guess anybody can. The next day, I drove to my office. I was still seething about what had happened, and there was a note to call my mother. I phoned her, and she told me that Ralph Clay had passed away. Services would be the following afternoon. I thanked her for letting me know, and I hung up the phone. I just sat quietly in my office for what must have been several minutes. Ralph was gone. Anytime a person or place from your past disappears, a little of your substance seems to dissolve as well. I hadn't seen Ralph for over ten years. Still knowing he would be gone from his little white house, knowing he would no longer be driving around in his old black dented truck, and knowing he would no longer play with his black and white speckled setter, these thoughts flooded over me and, and suddenly made me feel lonely. Ralph was gone, and so was an important part of my childhood. I thought to myself, Ralph was certainly not inconsiderate or arrogant. Ralph Clay will never be written up in Sports Illustrated. God just wrote him up in the hearts and memories of some little boys who once played baseball. He was our center fielder's uncle. Ralph would load us all up in his beat-up truck and take us to all of our ball games. Everybody loved Ralph, and Ralph loved everybody. I was a terrible fielder. I was barely coordinated enough to digest food. So before every ball game, Ralph would hit me a hundred grounders just so that I could cover second base. My last season of baseball, I made no errors. I didn't get to a lot of balls, but the ones I got to, I stopped. I remember Ralph smiling and, and patting me on the back a lot that year. He couldn't say in words the pride he felt in me because, you see, Ralph was deaf, and he had a vocal cord impairment that didn't allow him to speak. Yet still, he expressed his thoughts vividly. Years later, he would see me on the street, and he'd, he'd make that motion, baseball? And I'd shake my head no, 
And then he would shake his head no in mock disgust. He couldn't understand that a guy in his 20s wouldn't want to still be playing baseballs because Ralph was still active helping other kids in the neighborhood and he was in his 50s. And I thought, I thought, wow, Ralph's got it figured out. Another thing I'll never forget about Ralph was his dedication to the Lord. Even though he couldn't hear, he would never miss a church service or fellowship meeting. He'd sit in his usual pew and lip-read the words of the song leader and the words my dad preached from the pulpit. He loved my dad. Of course, everybody loved Ralph. Ralph had a powerful ministry. He never proclaimed a sermon. He just lived one. We saw a portion of God's kindness and love and lack of partiality through Ralph Clay. I like those sermons the best. Life sermons. I was sitting in my office, looking out the window now. There was no way I could go to the funeral the next day, I thought. And then I started thinking about that golf pro turning his back on us, and I thought about the many times I could have visited Ralph or taken him out to lunch, but I never did. I winced. I called up a florist. It was a weak gesture. I told her to send a large wreath of flowers. And later I learned that all the boys on the team had either gone to the service or sent flowers. The next night I couldn't get Ralph off my mind. He was swinging that bat, saying, I wept. I guess, I guess I wasn't too far removed from that golf pro after all. Wrapped up in myself and my work. I could have taken the day off. I hadn't done anything useful that day, really. Man, I can't stand inconsiderate people like myself. Ralph had it figured out, that's for sure. He had time for everybody. Even a gangly kid who played second base. Ralph loved everybody, and everybody loved Ralph. Hospitality ambassadors of Christ. That, I submit to you, is one of our primary callings as Christians. Certainly Ralph was a hospitality ambassador of the Lord. He offered unconditional love to everyone all the time. And if you haven't figured it out yet, which I know you have, today's theme is hospitality. Welcome. Acceptance. Inclusivity. Hospitality has to do with reaching out. Reaching out with caring, concern, and consideration. We typically think of the host as the one who serves, gives, and reaches out to the guest. This is a fairly accurate perception within our culture. The relation has the host as the giver and the guest as the receiver. And so in most church growth programs, people primarily think of what they have to offer and all the effort and energy it takes, sort of a one-directional flow. But in both the Old and the New Testament, we find that the relationship of host and guest is turned 
upside down and is often interchanged. Take the story of Abraham and Sarah. You remember old Abraham and Sarah. They had the sacred duty at an elderly age to entertain and host sojourners and strangers. And it was through the strangers they host that Abraham and Sarah learn the news that even in their old age, they will have a child. A strange gift, but a gift nonetheless. It's important to pay attention to the fact that those doing the hosting also receive. They receive a life-changing message from God. In both Jesus and Paul from our text this morning, we have strong calls for hospitality. Paul put it beautifully. He says, let love be genuine. To be gracious is to be genuine. Literally, in the Greek, he writes, let love be unassuming. Let love be unassuming. You see, to be gracious is to be unassuming and not presumptuous and inconsiderate. We are to practice and pursue hospitality, warmly loving one another, according to Paul. And one of the most prominent features of the early church of the first century was hospitality. Agape, love, always implies philixenia, which is love, godly love, always implies hospitality. Jesus often used the image of a feast in his teachings. And many of his actual interchanges in the gospel, they take place around a table, around a dinner table, a meal. And if you think about it, Jesus was dependent on the hospitality of others throughout his entire ministry for his lodging and his daily food. He had no place of his own. At a very basic level then, Jesus had what we might call a table ministry. Think of what can happen around a table when food is being shared, if the conversation isn't just light and fluffy, but of substance and meaning and caring and sharing. That's what's important. And so we often see this interchange between guest and host. Jesus would be a guest, and then he would act like a host, and vice versa. He insisted on inviting all comers, as our parable lesson depicts. The host sent out the word to the furthest highways and byways, proclaiming that all are welcome. Bring all the people in. And it was through this inclusivity that Jesus saw, I'm going to make a twist on the, name, on the word kingdom. This is the, the language then was, this is how he saw the kingdom becoming reality. But we don't live In our society, there are in others, but not in our society. We don't have kings in the United States. But I think what is implied by the reality of the kingdom, where there weren't people lording things over each other, which is what a kingdom does. Take out the G. Kingdom. Kingdom. Where it's all about the relationships, the kinships. So it was through this inclusivity that Jesus saw the kingdom being realized. Strangers can become givers and receivers of eternal gifts. 
In other New Testament passages, the church is called to be a lover of hospitality. They didn't mean that one was to love being a host. No, we are to be lovers of hospitality. It meant in a more complete sense, love the process of guest and host. Love the process between guest and host. Take delight in the interaction, for it was then that God was the most fully perceived to be sitting among them. When strangers sat down together, God was often discovered. For the more diverse the sharing, the more potentially life-giving and graceful the interchange. Making a party out of strangers was one of the best images of the kingdom of God that we have. And we know how divided, how divided, diverse, and violent the world is. Look at the Middle East. Look at Africa. Look at Ukraine. Just to name a few. Yet Jesus came to reconcile the whole world, the whole world to himself. For in such meeting, the lines of privacy cross. When you sit down and share a meal with someone else, the lines of privacy cross and people can actually potentially touch God. To practice hospitality is to interchange with strangers such that both parties are blessed and potentially have a chance to experience God. So we're not talking simply about tables where we invite our families and our friends. That's, that's a nice thing to do too. But that's not what this gospel challenge is about. Not to the church. Not simply to have meals with those we're already comfortable with. But to reach out to others that we don't even know. That, that has some risk with it. I'll grant you that. To reach out to others we don't know is risky. And we, we potentially can be rejected in the process. And who likes to be rejected? But when we take that risk, it's the best chance we have of meeting God. Jesus put it straightforwardly. When you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. For I was, I was a xenos, from which we get the word xenophobia. For I was a xenos, a stranger, and you cared for me. I was a stranger, and you cared for me. Hospitality means in the Greek to love the stranger. You know, Jesus came to earth as a guest. Think about it. He was born in an inn. That's where we put our guests. Guests stay in inns. Jesus asked the disciples to prepare the Passover meal. We just, we just were looking at this a few weeks ago. He came to that meal as a guest. They had prepared it for him and he came as a guest. And he transformed it into what we know as the Last Supper by becoming the host. He got up. He took a towel. He girded himself. And he washed the disciples' feet. He served. As a host, he served. He came as a guest and left as a host, redeeming his guests with his very life. How we receive guests and how we receive Jesus, well, it's all wrapped up together. Hospitality ambassadors.
It's not something that two people can do. It's a challenge for the whole body of Christ. Theologian Thomas John Carlyle put it this way, to, to turn a stranger into a neighbor requires faith and love and labor. And the spirit of one who was laid in a manger, have we forgotten? He was a stranger? When was the last time you reached out to an unfamiliar person here at the church? Risking that they might be a longtime member or that they might not want to talk. And when was the last time you invited someone to church? Be they a member who hasn't been here for a long time or a guest who may not have a church home. We don't do that in a pushy way, but in an unassuming, welcoming way. Each of us might ask ourselves this question. If I were another person, would I like to have myself as a friend? As someone once told me, People are not looking for a friendly church as much as they are looking for a friend. That just takes one person. You. One person, you. Well, lots being done at the neighborhood church to cultivate warmth and welcome. But there's probably more that can be done. All of you, friend and stranger alike, are needed. If, if you are to be a hospitality ambassador. We pray it every Sunday. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is God's will, I believe, that you, you individually and you, the neighborhood church, practice hospitality. I believe that. The question is no longer, will we pray it? But will we live it? Unamuno, the, Unamuno the, the Spanish philosopher, is reported to have said when reflecting on the dying of a friend. His friend said as he was dying, Light! Light! Let there be more light. That is not more light that we need, reflected the Spanish philosopher, but warmth. Warmth! Warmth, warmth, more warmth. That is what we need. It is not the night that kills, but the frost. Going forward, may you, may you be a church of outstretched arms. May you be a a church of outstretched hands as you practice hospitality, because you truly can be hospitality ambassadors. And I want to close with these words. You've heard me share them before, but I think they're so appropriate to who the neighborhood church can continue to be and grow toward. To all who are weary and seek rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who struggle and look for strength. To all who are strangers and want 
fellowship. To all who are fragmented and want wholeness. To all who are sick and look for healing. To all who hate injustice and intend to make justice prevail. To all who despise violence and are committed to peace. To all who seek to enter the kingdom of God. To all who wander and seek a place to belong. To all who hunger and thirst for truth in their life quest. And to whosoever will come. May the neighborhood church always bid a warm welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. May it be so. Not just today, but going forward into all your days to come. Amen.